Oh, good morning. Good morning. It is good to see all of you. I feel like a, a stranger here, a guest. I've been gone the last couple of weeks. Um, we were in Bulgaria. I was with the Bulgaria team over there for about 10 days, and we, we overlapped two Sundays, and so it's good to be back. It's good to see all of you here this morning. Uh, a, a week ago, we were on a flight back from Bulgaria. We had a fantastic trip. There were 13 of us who went over there, and uh, we were there working with the Pink Foundation, and uh, the Pink Foundation was started by uh, Bob and Becky Faber. I want to give you just a few pictures. This won't take long. This isn't going to be like, you know, your Aunt Betty's trip to Hawaii or anything like that. Uh, but this is Bob and Becky Faber, and they're awesome. And they started the Pink Foundation. And the Pink Foundation basically exists uh, to improve the lives of students. And they do that through, like, after-school programs and, and education and physical fitness and health and medicine and providing food and, and clothes as needed and all that kind of thing. And, and they do it through partnering with local schools and with local communities. And what I love about them is that they do it—how um, I put this—totally fueled by the gospel. I mean, they're absolutely passionate about Jesus Christ and making his name known. And what I also love is that as they go into these schools and these communities, they're absolutely upfront with who they are and what they're doing. There's nothing underhanded. They don't pull a bait and switch. They walk in and they announce, hey, we are Christians. We follow Jesus Christ and we love him. And he has loved us. And because of that, we want to love you. And they just build these relationships with these schools and with teachers and with faculty and in these communities. And it provides an opportunity where they get to love on these kids and provide services for these children. And then through that, get to introduce them to Jesus Christ. And it's a beautiful thing. It's so powerful. And we're seeing incredible success all over Bulgaria. They've got a few different ones that they've begun over the last several years. And, uh, and what we've gotten to be a part of is one in Pestra, Bulgaria. And so this is a brand new one that they started with us um, around this guy named Cosio. Here's Cosio with a water balloon because we play with the kids. And Cosio is from Pestra. And so his heart is totally there. I mean, he he loves this town. This is his hometown. And we're there working at a school. I think I've got a picture of it. This is the school that he actually grew up attending. And so he goes in there and he meets the teachers and the faculty and, and builds these relationships. And what we get to do once a year is we get to come along and inject some energy and some momentum because they love Americans and, uh, and just show up and we build stuff like uh, this gazebo and uh, like these tables and see the whiteboard back there so teachers can teach their kids outside. And we do all of that so that they get even more opportunity to just build relationships with these kids and with these teachers. And so we spend all day just working like dogs, uh, hand-mixing concrete and getting everything pulled together and building all these tables. And then in the afternoons, we just, we just play with the kids. And they'll have, you know, it started out with, you know, maybe a dozen. And then by the time it was over, we had like 40, 50 kids out there. And we were playing with them and doing water balloons and important stuff like teaching them how to play baseball. Which, if you don't speak Bulgarian and they don't speak English, is a trick. But they came a long way. The... Uh, tagging up idea after you catch a foul or a fly ball. Never caught onto that part of it, but the rest of it they did really, really well. It was, it was awesome. So, um, so that was the trip, and I just want to tell you, um, you should go. Uh, we're, we've got a five-year deal with them, uh, and it's probably going to extend beyond that if I have anything to say about it. I'm sure anybody who goes, I mean, we just have such a phenomenal time, but you should go. You should think about it. If you've never been on a mission trip, this is an incredible opportunity to go overseas, to love on some people, to serve people outside of your comfort zone. And I'm telling you, God uses that in amazing ways. Excuse me, amazing ways. Um, I've been on dozens of mission trips. 
And every single time um, I go, I, I, God just uses that moment to just like reorient me and refocus my head and my heart around what really matters and just reminds me that this home, this world is not my own and that, that, that we have a greater purpose. And it's just so easy to get caught up in the everyday. And there, there's good and bad in that, right? I mean, there's work and there's family and there's NBA free agency. I don't know if anybody's paying attention to that. Maybe the World Cup or all the craziness with the Supreme Court last week. You know, things going crazy in our country, right? It's so easy to get wrapped up into all of that and lose sight of what this life is really about and what God has called us to be. And, and so I just want to encourage you, you should go on that trip. You should check that out. And what I want to do this morning in our time is I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of stories from Bulgaria. I hope that you'll meet up with some of the people who've gone because they will tell you stories. And we're going to keep putting interviews and stuff up on Facebook and you can check it out that way. But what I want to do is just spend a little time just sharing with you some of the things that God has uh, just really impressed upon my heart. And some, I think, helpful reminders that all of us need uh, from time to time. And so uh, let me pray for us and then we'll get into it. All right. Our Heavenly Father, we've gotten to sing to you. We've gotten to remember the sacrifice of your Son. So it's already been a powerful morning. Lord, as we come to your word and we spend some time reflecting on who you are and who you've called us to be, I pray that right now you would just be removing any barriers that we've brought in with us, um, any, any uh, frustrations, any concerns, any stresses, any worries, whatever it is that we bring in, because we all bring in stuff. We all come in with our own baggage. I pray that right now we'd be able to just kind of set that aside for a moment, that you could speak so clearly to us, that your Holy Spirit, which we know is here, Lord, that you would just uh, capture our hearts, reorient our minds, remind us about what, what matters most. Um, God, we just give this time to you, and we thank you for it, and we pray all of this in the powerful name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I, I do want to tell you one story just to, to kick off, and, and that's this. Um, so we, we showed up on a Saturday afternoonish, and uh, we flew in, and then we had to drive about an hour and a half from Sofia to Pestra. And so that meant that Sunday was like our first full day. And so um, we got up in the morning, and we went downstairs to have breakfast we're in the hotel that we were staying at. And uh, breakfast is... Uh, is exciting because it, it always entails eggs of some, uh, some type and then yogurt. And so you could have yogurt on your cereal or you could have a drinkable yogurt or other kinds of yogurt. And so that was fun. And then, um, but the eggs were really good too. And then after that, we got ready and we walked about 15 minutes over to the local Christian Protestant church. And Here's the deal. In Bulgaria, like the, the Eastern Orthodox Church is really big there. There's a Bulgarian Orthodox Church. And that, if you are Bulgarian, you're basically born into that church. Like that's just an assumed. So if you're Bulgarian, well, then you're part of that church. And, uh, but understand, like it's this nominal cultural thing. There, there's not a lot of them that are really preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's just something that you just are. You're Bulgarian, so therefore you are Eastern Orthodox. Um, and so it's hard to find some of these small Christian Protestant churches because they're looked upon with suspicion. Like in those communities, they don't look at those churches as like viable Christian churches. They're sort of like cults or something. And so we get to show up to this church, and it's only got like 12 people in it because, again, it's not like this really popular thing. And uh, here, I think I've got a, a picture of it. Okay, so this is it. I mean, this is the whole thing. I mean, the wall ends right there. I'm not, I'm not missing, like, this whole huge room over there. That's, that's it. And so we walk in to this tiny little room, and there's, like, 12 people. And so we double the size of their church just by showing up. 
And you've got these women back there, and they're just singing passionately, just singing their hearts out. And, and it's this, this tiny, cramped, not enough ventilation, and they're singing, and it's, it's, it's not very good. And, um, and the, the instruments, they've got like this really, really old, terrible keyboard and this electric guitar with an amp, and there's no one there to like mix sound like what we have here. And, and so it's kind of off-key, and it's hard to tell really what the rhythm is at times. And, and we're sitting there... And yet, and yet it is so, it's so powerful. It's so powerful. I mean, it's just this incredible experience. I mean, I think every single one of us left that morning just kind of in awe of who God was. Because these people, man, just to hear them sing and to hear their stories, like, they weren't there because it was cool. They weren't there because the service was really amazing. I mean, they weren't there because they were there to, you know, network with people or kind of make connections. I mean, you know, no one thought they should be there. None of their friends and family would be like, yay, you're going to that church. You know, they were there because they had experienced God in their lives and they wanted more of him. And I just, I was sitting there, I just thought, wow, isn't that what we're looking for? You know, I mean, when we come on a Sunday morning, it's not about all the stuff that we do. It's, you know, I could care less in one sense. You know, it's like, how good is the music? We come in and we're like, okay, am I going to like this song? Or is the, the pacing going to be okay? Is the rhythm going to be good? And is it too loud or too soft? And am I going to like the sermon? Will they use that illustration or not? I mean, but isn't what we're really after when we come? It's like, we just want to experience God. We want to know God. And maybe we haven't experienced him before. And we want to for the first time. And, and if we could leave here this morning... Even if everything just crumbled and burned, if we could leave here this morning going, how great is our God? Isn't that what this is about? And I just love sitting there and just hearing their stories. They had this one woman, she stood up, and uh, this was the one I think kind of got all of us. She, she stood up, and this, this tiny little old lady, you know, just this beautiful saint. She'd been following the Lord for like years and years and years, decades. And she gets up and she shares her testimony about how God had literally healed her from blindness. And then she looked at our churches, right? She looked at like all of us Americans and all the Bulgarians. And, and she talked about how beautiful it was that we could come together. And we could sing together, you know, trying to decipher what the Bulgarian song actually was and sing it in English. And, and then she shared with us this passage. And I just want to share this with you this morning. Because she's talking about us as the church. All of us together. And this is from First Peter Two, it says this, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I just sat there listening to her read, and it was just so beautiful because it would be so easy to walk in and you see that tiny cramped little room and the music's not very good and, and it's not enough ventilation and the sermon's in Bulgarian, so I have no idea what that was about. Um, and just write them off and say, well, God doesn't really have any use for them. You know, they, they're not really doing anything significant in this town and, not, and totally miss out on the reality that they are God's chosen people right there in Pestra, because they're the church. They're his church. They're his prized possession. You know, I, it's so easy to forget that, 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 that the church, I mean, understand, like the church, this is not the church. You guys really get that, right? I mean, we are the church. This is just a church service. 
And we get so invested in all the important things. Church services are important. We want to glorify God, but we come here to worship him as best we can. To, to be fed by his word, to fellowship together, to come together as a family. But, but this isn't the church. Like, we are the church. You and me, we're the church. And it's so easy to forget, as you looked at that church in, in Pestras, like, man, this service isn't very good. I mean, how, how important can this church be? And yet this church called City on the Hill Church, right? They are God's light in Pestra. They're his prized possession. They're his gem. You know, I, I remember um, uh, being in Guatemala, and I, I've spent um, a lot of trips in Guatemala. And, and we were working, um, when I was doing that, we were working with this one ministry that was a, educational, and it was a school. But they also had this, this church that was attached to it. And, um, and so afterwards, so we have Sunday morning ser- service with all these people. And these were like the poorest of the poor who would come to this church. Did, the church didn't even have a name. They just showed up. There'd be like 80, 100 families who'd show up there, and they're just, just worshiping. It's like a guitar, and it sounds terrible, and you can't even hear it because they didn't have an amp. It's like, what song are we singing, you know? And then afterwards, we would go to these people's houses, and we'd take food with them and just go to, just to, to spend some time with them. And I remember going into, like, one of their homes, you know, and it's just like this sheet metal shack, and there's dirt floors, and there's no running water, and there's no electricity, and these kids are running around, no shoes and torn clothes, and I don't know what they're cooking, but it it doesn't look like food to me. Um, And it would be so easy to say, man, these aren't God's people. God doesn't care about them. It looks like God forgot them. But then as you talk to them, like, to hear their faith and how they love and follow the Lord— It just gives you this completely different perspective. This one family, I remember so vividly because we're sitting there and it's, you know, little kids running around and they don't have enough food or enough clothes and everything. And we're like, oh my goodness, how do we help them? And so we we asked, hey, how can we pray for you? Like we brought you some food and we're getting your kids into the school, but how can we pray for you? What can we pray for? And the dad speaks up and he just says, would you just pray that we would know and follow Jesus more? I mean, can you imagine that for a moment? I mean, if that was your family, and those were your kids, can you imagine, just for a moment, I mean, do you even have a grid for that? I mean, I don't. I don't even have a grid for that. Of like, okay, I, I could use a car, I could use a job, I could use more money, I could use running water, electricity. I've got a whole list of things. And yet, all he said was, would you just pray that we would know and follow Jesus more? That's all we want. We just want more faith. We just want to love him. And it's like, oh man, I could so easily think, man, God doesn't care about these people. God's like written them off. He's forgotten about them. But when they say that, it's like, how can he not adore them? They are his prized possession. They are his gems. They are his royal priesthood right there in that community. And it's just so easy to miss that. And I think for, for us as well, that as believers, it's easy, it's easy to forget that as, as Christians— for those of us who have placed our faith in Christ and the salvation that comes only through him, that, that we have been adopted as heirs into the family. That we're his children. We're his precious men and women and children. That, that we're his holy nation, his royal priesthood. I, I think part of the reason is because it's so easy for us to get into this mindset where we determine our, 
our uh, relationship, our status with God based on how life is going, right? So it's like if things are going well for me, if I've got the job and if I've got the career and I've got the girl and I've got the, you know, the house and the kids and everything, then that means God must love me. God must care for me. Clearly, I'm one of God's children. It's like that old Cademan's Call song. Uh, I'm dating myself here, but there was this line that said, I judge success by how I'm dressing, And I love that line because this is what we do, isn't it? We look in the mirror. We're like, yep, I look good today and I'm going to the job that I love and I've got the the education that I want. My kids are healthy or whatever it is. And therefore, God must love me. I evaluate my status before God, my relationship with God on whether my life is on the upswing. And when it's not, when things are not going well, when things are not going the way that I want them to, when, when there's more questions than answers, when there's real doubts, when there's real problems, when my, my kids get sick, when the finances don't add up and the job's no longer there, then I go, okay, God, where are you? You must not love me. You must have forgotten about me. And maybe for some of you even this morning, this is a struggle that you're having. And maybe it's not, you know, financial or anything like that. Maybe it's just in your personal life. I don't know. Um, but you're looking at it going, okay, God, where are you? How could you let this happen? I mean, do you even care about me? Do you even love me? Do you even know who I am or have you forgotten me completely? And missing out on the fact that we are, we are his chosen people, not because we do church better, whatever that means, than the church in Pestra, not because we have more money and more possessions and everything, but because Jesus died for us. That we are lovely because he loved us. That we are beautiful because he's made us beautiful. And so if you look in the mirror and you don't have all the clothes that you wanted, you look in the mirror and, and all you see is the disappointments and the failures and the things that aren't going well, then you're not seeing the whole picture. Because Jesus died for you and you've been adopted into the family that you are royalty. You are his prized possession. You are the church. Um, I love how um, the Apostle Paul, he describes the life of the believer in 2 Corinthians 6. I just want to look at this. He says, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. By great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. By purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. And what Paul's saying so far here is he just says, look, the way that the world knows that we are actually God's children, the way that you and I even know that we are are his servants, we're his true servants, is because not that we avoid, not that nothing bad ever happens to us, but in the midst of everything, look at this list, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labor, on and on. He says, in the midst of all that, there's this endurance that happens and it produces character and all of that reveals that we truly belong to God. But look at this next part. This is the part that I I love this. He says, we are treated as imposters and yet are true. As unknown, yet well-known. As dying, and behold, we live. As punished, and yet not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. Paul says, if you look in the mirror and all you see is all the bad stuff, everything that, that the world tells you, man, this is a problem. You don't have this. You failed at this. All of those, then you are missing it. There is more to you than meets the eye. 
Remember Transformers? That just hit me just there. Um, <laughs> Transformers, right? More than meets the eye. Side note, um, ADD. Um, my son is five. He's in the kindergarten class. A few weeks ago, he comes home talking about Sunday school, and he says, um, so Transformers, that's like the transfiguration. It means you're changed into something different. And then he said, I loved his summary, uh, the transfiguration, it's a big word, I can't spell it, but I really like saying it. <laughs> we have an awesome children's man. I think that was Katie Kalal. Um, she's probably back there teaching, but that's just awesome. I love that. But that's what Paul's saying here, right? He says, look, there's more to you than meets the eye. The, the, how the world sees you, how society sees you, like if that's how you see yourself, then you are missing the point. You're missing who you truly are. That God sees you as so much more than that. And I think about where we are right now. At this time in our society, right now, the world looks at our church, at the church, it looks at us and it says, we are imposters, we are fakes. We are charlatans selling an archaic and dying religion. And yet what God says, he says, you are true. You're the genuine article. You're the real thing. The world looks at us and says, man, we are bankrupt and backward in reality. We are so rich. We are overflowing with spiritual riches, overflowing with spiritual wealth in Jesus Christ, so much so that it overflows from us to others. The world looks at us and says, we are beaten and sorrowful and forgettable and irrelevant and at death's door, but in reality, we're known by the only one who matters, that we are not beaten, we are alive. And this isn't over yet that Christ is returning. We look forward with hope and with joy to the kingdom when he will come and he will make all things right. And that's a hope and a joy that the world can't understand. That's who we really are. And it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what society says about us. We are the church. We are God's chosen people, the holy nation, his royal priesthood, his prized possession. And not only that, as the church, God has given us a reason to exist. He's given us a purpose a mission to be part of. And this is what Peter says back in 1 Peter 2, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're not just the church randomly. We're not the church just to exist. We're the church for a purpose, to proclaim the excellencies of God because he's called us out of darkness. Um, one of the coolest parts about going on a mission trip if you've never done it, is um, you get to know the other people in a way that you never would get to know them otherwise, good and bad. And, um, and mostly good. It's awesome. And, and so here, here's the deal. I mean, just imagine this for a moment. Like if you're in a small group, let me put this in context. If you're in a small group, and I hope you are, um, that can be challenging, can't it? You know, you're, you're in there and you're just, there's just this week to week trying to get to know people, trying to do life with them and be honest and be who you really are. And it takes work. It's not an easy process. But to the point that God is going to use those relationships. Well, a mission trip is like a small group in a pressure cooker, right? It just takes all these different personalities and idiosyncrasies and it lumps them all together in a completely foreign, different environment, totally unfamiliar to you where you don't know the language of the culture. And then you spend every day, all day together which should be a recipe for disaster. I mean, if you wanted to start a reality show that would look like a train wreck, you would think that sounds pretty good, but it doesn't. It's, it works. Not that there's not conflict, not that there's not tension at times and friction, all of that. And yet, and yet on the whole, it's beautiful because there's this mission, there's this common goal that unites everyone. 
And you're reminded while you're there that you're not there on a, on a pleasure cruise. You're not there on vacation. You're not there going, okay, do I really like the food? And do I like where we're staying? And how's this working out for me? No, you're there because you've got this mission. And so you don't even worry about that stuff. You're there because you're going to build some stuff. And you're going to love on some kids. It's not about you. Like If I was to take 10 of you and I was going to put you in a room and just lock you in there. And it's a pretty big room. You've got places to sleep and eat, so don't overthink this, all right? And, um, and I just said, okay, you're going to stay in there for a long time, and you're just going to exist. That's it. Just survive. Like, it would take about 10 seconds, and you'd be sitting there going, okay, this guy, I can't stand the way he breathes, and she talks too much, and they eat funny, and they snore when they sleep, and that's just annoying me, and it's all about you, and that's what it becomes. And pretty soon, that would probably just end up being Lord of the Flies. It would just end up being, and I could eat them, and I could take them out, and, right? I mean, it would just get ugly really fast. But if you take that same idea, and I said, okay, but for this amount of time, you've got to accomplish this. Here's this mission. Here's this goal. And hey, maybe it means you get out afterwards, I'll let you out if you just do this thing, whatever that is, right? I mean, it would completely change the dynamic, doesn't it? It, would, it completely changes the dynamic because immediately what happens, everybody rallies together and says, okay, okay, let's do this. Let's figure this out together. And you figure out who the leaders are and you figure out who, who can get stuff done and you figure out who the encouragers are and you figure out who you got to kind of like drag along a little bit and, and you figure all that out. And what you discover is that God has made each one of you unique. And not only... Are you not as annoyed by all the different things that drive you crazy, but actually you begin to appreciate and value the way that God has gifted and, and created other people because it's, it's a team effort. See, that's what, that's what a mission trip does. That's what happens. This goal that you have, it, it reorients everyone around this one common aim. So you're not focused on, you know, yourself and whether or not you like the sleeping arrangement or whether you like the food or whether so-and-so drives you crazy. It, it becomes about accomplishing this thing, and you actually end up appreciating and valuing people in a way that you never would otherwise. So you know them better than you ever could otherwise, and actually you appreciate them more and not less. You see, Paul, he's talking here, excuse me, Peter here, he's talking to the church He's not talking to individuals. He, he's talking to all of us together, collective, that we are the church. We are the royal nation. We are the royal priesthood. This isn't like this mission that we, we set out on our own, like Rambo style or something. This is where all of us together have different gifts that we bring to the table to accomplish this. And notice what, what Peter's saying here is that, is that being part of that mission is what it means to be part of the church. Like, you can't separate those two things. In fact, if you try to be the church, if you try to be the royal priesthood and the holy nation without the mission, like, that doesn't even compute. That doesn't even follow. Now, here's what I mean by this. Um, somehow, a lot of us, I think, um, and myself included, we, we, we fall into this idea that to follow Jesus, to look like Jesus, means that we just need to be nice. Like, we're just going to be friendly to people. That's it. And so we look at, at Jesus' character, and we go, okay, he's kind, he's gentle, he's patient. So I'm going to be kind and gentle and patient. We kind of reduce all that down to this idea of I'm just going to be nice. I'm just going to be friendly. People will like me. I have a lot of Facebook friends. I mean, how many of us, like, if you were to think about this, if you get up in the morning, you're like, okay, Jesus, I'm going to look like you today. How many of us would immediately translate that into, okay, that means I need to be nice to my boss, 
and I need to be nice with my wife and nice to my kids and nice to the guy who cuts me off in traffic and nice to the person in the checkout line and nice to so-and-so, right? That's what it, oftentimes we just reduce it. We take this whole idea of following Jesus Christ, of picking up our cross and following him, him in his mission, and we reduce it to somehow just being nice to people. Can I just say on a quick tangent here, um, you don't find nice in the Bible. Like, Jesus isn't nice. I, in fact, I've actually tried to remove this from my vocabulary. When I talk to my kids, I say, be kind to one another, not be nice. I, I think nice is like this American idea of just being friendly for the sake of being friendly so that people will like you and you can, you know, use that somehow. I mean, there's, there's nothing to it, right? But when, when God talks about looking like Jesus and following Jesus and having his character, it's never divorced from the mission, Like when Jesus is kind, he's kind to other people so that it will draw them to the Father. When Jesus is gentle with someone, it's to draw them to the Father. When Jesus is loving towards someone, it means he dies on the cross for them so that they can have access to the Father. You can't separate Jesus' character from his mission. His mission was to come and to seek and to save the lost. They're intertwined. You can't get around it. You can't get past it. And so if we try to divorce that, it's like, okay, I'm going to look like Jesus, but we try to do that separate somehow from the mission, then we are missing the point. It's like if you were playing basketball and you're like, okay, I'm going to be the greatest dribbler in the world, but I'm never going to try to win the game. It's like the coach puts you in, you get the ball at midcourt, and you're just like dribbling, and they're like, pass it or shoot or something. You know, it's like, no, 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 I'm dribbling. I'm really kind. Look how kind I am. Like that, that would be absurd. And yet that's what happens when we take this idea of like, we're going to follow Jesus, we're going to look like Jesus, and we reduce it to this idea of we're just going to be friends. And there's nothing wrong with that, all right? Some of you are like, so we're not supposed to be friends. No, we're supposed to be friends, but we're supposed to be friends. And the most friendly thing we can do if we really love someone is we point them to Christ. It's always in the back of our mind. It's always part of our motivation. That's what this is about. See, when we make being friendly or being nice the sum total of what it looks like to follow Jesus, then we're, we're missing the point. It's, there's nothing more, there's nothing nicer, there's nothing more loving than to tell people about Jesus. And that's why we go to Pestra. That's why we go to Pestra. I mean, there would be more economically sensible things to do. Right? There's more efficient ways to get a few tables built. I mean, we could just write them a check and say, hey, go find somebody, hire somebody, build some tables and call it good. But that's not, the, that's not what this is about. We, we spend more money than we need to because we think it's a good investment to send people over there. To, to look at these teachers face to face. To have lunch with them. To meet the faculty. To give COSIO opportunities to build relationships. To just love on these kids in any way that we can. We think that's a good investment because it's not just about getting some tables built. It's not just about getting a gazebo built. It's not just about, uh, you know, providing all these things. That's wonderful. That's good. But if that's all we did, then what was the point? I mean, really, what was the point of it? And the teachers ask us, the teachers ask us, they'll say, why are you here? What are you doing this for? Why are you building this for us? Why are you playing with these kids? You came all this way, and we get to say, Jesus loved us, and so we want to love you. And that's what Peter says right here. 
Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, this is the motivation. This is the whole point. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you here? Why, what is this all about? Well, we, we have received mercy. Jesus loved us, and so we want to love you. That's really what it comes down to. Have you ever thought that, or considered the fact that you didn't have to be born to the family that you were born to? And you didn't have to be born in the country in which you were born. And whatever that situation, like, it, it could just have easily have been otherwise. I mean, obviously God is sovereign and he's directing all of that. But you, you get what I'm saying? Like, every time I go overseas, it becomes so um, apparent to me that I didn't have to be born in the United States to a middle-class family who could provide for my every need and who would teach me about Jesus from the time I was born. Like, I could have just as easily been born in Pestra, Bulgaria. I could be one of those teachers. I could be one of those families. I could be one of those students. And wouldn't I want someone to share with me of God's mercy if our roles were reversed? I mean, like, if that was me, wouldn't I want somebody to say, man, I'm, I'm going to love you enough to actually come over and I'm going to tell you about God's mercy. Wouldn't I want that? Like, as a parent, you know, we're out playing with all those kids. And I think, man, if these were my kids, wouldn't I want somebody to come over here and love them enough to tell them about God's mercy? I mean, isn't that what I would want for them? Somebody to come and to, to provide for them and to teach them to play baseball all because they wanted them to know Jesus. I mean, wouldn't I want that? You know, when I was in uh, Guatemala, it was even more close to home for me because we were working with like a lot of smaller kids, like three, four, five-year-olds. I've got a five-year-old, I've got a three-year-old, and I see these kids walking around without shoes, with, with ratted clothes and not enough to eat and, and very little hope for education. And it's like, man, wouldn't I want somebody to go over there and to provide something for them, to, to love on them and to give them a chance in education, to give them some hope, but most of all, to tell them that Jesus died for them. I mean, if you were in that position, if your role was reversed, wouldn't you want someone to come and tell you? You know, I mean, look, we're, we're not born with this innate knowledge that, that God loves us and that there's mercy available. Like, we, I didn't come out of my mom's womb, like going, okay, I'm a sinner and Jesus died for me and so that's what I need. No, somebody had to tell me, just like somebody had to tell all of you. And wouldn't we want, if our roles were reversed, if, if you weren't born where you were born, you hadn't had that opportunity that you've had, wouldn't you want somebody to tell you? See, that's why we go to Pestra. That's why we, we support missionaries all over the world. That's, that's why we're about mission trips and about mission is because we know that this is only by God's grace and that someone has to tell us. And we want to tell other people It's not just to build some stuff. It's not just to play games. It's fun, but it's not, that's, that's not it. It's about loving these kids enough to share Jesus with them because we weren't born knowing God's mercy, and those could be our kids. And here's the deal, um, and this is, I'm, I'm kind of wrapping up here. Um, we don't have to go across the ocean. You know this. We don't have to go on a mission trip. Man, all of us, every single one of us, in our families, in our offices, with our friends, in our neighborhoods, all of us have people who've never had the opportunity to hear of God's mercy. All of them need that opportunity to hear the good news that God is not counting men's sins against them, that there is forgiveness and mercy available through Jesus Christ by faith. 
Uh, that's, that's what our whole blessed strategy is about. If you've been around GVF for a little while, we, we talk about blessed, this idea of beginning with prayer and listening to someone and eating with them and serving them and then sharing our story. And, and let me just tell you, like if all you do is those first four things, then you've made a Facebook friend, but you haven't impacted somebody. And I'm not saying you have to like force it, but like just understand what's the motivation, what's the drive behind this. This is the most loving thing. This is truly how we bless someone is that ultimately we, we build a relationship, trusting God through it, that one day he's going to provide an opportunity that we get to say, let me tell you about God's mercy because I'm a sinner and I was lost in darkness. And God called me into his marvelous light and he wants to do the same thing for you. If we don't ever get to that step with the people that we claim that we love, that we claim to be friends with, who we care about, then what good was the rest of it? Will they say someday when they're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, man, so glad that someone told me, or why didn't you? And can I just tell you that, look, right now, one of my concerns for us um, as the church really in, in, in the United States even, um, not just GVF, but for all of us, is just that it's going to become increasingly easy not to say anything. There's increased pressure just to keep quiet, um, looking at our society and, and how you know, it is running away from God. And it's going to be harder and harder to stand up and be counted for. In fact, right now even, I, I've read leaders within the church who are saying, hey, it's time to just retreat. It's time to run away and get into our little faith communities, and we'll just kind of send scavengers out for food, but otherwise we'll just kind of avoid everything that we can. But can I tell you, that is not God's intention ever. Like, God's intention is that within the church, within this community, we love one another, we care for one another, but then we're always finding ways to reach out. And we can be so risk-averse and so cautious, and I get that. There's a place for wisdom, but also we have to trust that our God is bigger than all of that. We have to reach out and we find ways to draw people in. To say, man, there is mercy for you. God loves you. And you've got to know him. There, there has never been a time, certainly in my lifetime, that has been more important that we stand up and, and be counted. That we stand up and we, we announce and proclaim God's mercies. That, that we live in a world that is lost in darkness, but he wants to call us into marvelous light. And I'm not just, listen, I'm not just talking about this whole thing with gay marriage. Listen very carefully. Um, that's just a byproduct of a worldview that's rejected God. What, what I'm talking about here is consistently in every area, in every relationship, speaking the truth in love that God is God, that sin is sin. Well, no matter what that sin is, but there is forgiveness. There's mercy through Jesus Christ. That's a message that we cannot, we cannot be silent about. We cannot play it safe. We are the church. We are God's holy nation, his royal priesthood, his prized possession. We're, we're at the front line of this spiritual war that's going on all around us. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against the spiritual powers of darkness, and it is real. And we are God's front line. We're the A-team. I've got a lot of 80s references today. Um, I don't know where that's coming from. Um, right, but this is who God has called us to be. We are the church. We cannot be silent. We cannot play it safe. 
if for no other reason than if our roles were reversed, wouldn't you want somebody to tell you? I'm going to pray for us um, as the band comes up. And, and, and I just want to pray during this time that, that God would be impressing on your heart a couple of things. One is, is if there's someone in your life that you need to be praying for, that you need to be listening to, that you need to find a way to have a cup of coffee or a meal with or serve. But also if there's someone that you need to just take that next step and to be courageous, be bold, and to share your story. Don't be silent. Don't be silent. Let me pray. Lord, um, God, we are just so in awe of who you are. And it has nothing to do with the music or the sermon or how good or bad the service is. God, you are awesome. You are our Lord, our Savior. You have redeemed us. You have saved us from the very pit of hell. You have called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. You have shown us mercy when we deserve judgment. God, I pray right now that that reality would just sink into our souls. God, that it would change us, that it would motivate us, that it would give us the courage to walk out into this world with boldness and conviction and wisdom and find opportunities to be the hands and the feet of Jesus and to share this message of hope that comes to your gospel. God, I pray for each one of us. God, I pray that right now you'll be just putting names and faces into our heads and our hearts. It's like, oh, I need to talk to so-and-so. And I, I, I know I've, I've gotten to know so-and-so. But I've never had the most important conversation that I could have with them. Maybe today is that day. Maybe this week is that week. God, I pray that you would just be showing us how we can truly be your church here in Phoenixville and, and, and our, in our communities that we would resemble who you say we are, who you've already declared us to be, who you already value us as, your chosen people, your holy nation, your royal priesthood, your prized possession. God, let us live up to that. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.